You are listening to the Sermon Podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. This has been a really fun kind of message to prepare for in this series of Stacking Stones. If you missed Pastor Rick's message, I encourage you to go back and watch last week's to kind of catch us up as God's people are heading into the promised land. As God's people go into the promised land, you see kind of throughout this that they are stacking stones. And some of God explicitly tells them to stack stones as memorials so that you can remember who God is and what he has done. I remember hearing Ron White say this sometimes. He was, uh, you know what? I forgot. You ever forget? It happened to me. We are prone to forget. Not everybody here, you're probably in different places, not everybody's a believer, but real quick, raise your hand. If God has moved in your life at some point, raise your hand. That's most of us, hands down. I want you to use the other hand for this one. Even though God has moved powerfully in your life, do you still get anxious and worried about whether God is going to show up for you? It's okay, you can put your hands up, I know. Right? And the gap between those two hands is why God tells us to stack stones. Because God has moved, and yet we forget, and we still worry. So we can look back at these stack of stones and remember who God is, what he has done. So all throughout, I mean, it was an awesome passage that we got to study together. Great sermon by Pastor Rick coming into the land. But i got to warn you. Each stack of stones, there's something different you need to remember. Right? What a beautiful passage last week. Like for the second time in God's people, you know, in the history of Israel, God miraculously holds up the water. Right? God's people walk into the promised land. The river bed is dry from God miraculously holding up the Jordan River and they walk through a river on dry ground and God says, as I'm holding up that water, I want you to take stones out of this riverbed because you and your kids are going to forget what I have done here. And I don't want you to forget. So I want you to take stones out of this riverbed and build them so you never forget that I'm faithful. It's a different stack of stones week two. That was the memorial of what God has done. This stack of stones is a tombstone, and it is all the stones over the top of a dead body that they had to stone because of the death penalty that was put on them. I'm not kidding. It really is a pile of stones over top of a dead body. Aren't you so glad you came out here in the cold to hear that? Right? Because here is what, again, you may not want to remember this, but all of us desperately need to be reminded of this. God is faithful. You and I, let's just dive into the passage. It gets, it's not great. I'm, I'll be honest, right? But let's let the Bible speak for itself of what God wants to remind us about our state, particularly apart. From him. And this is where it's been fun to dive into the story, right? Again, they walk through the Jordan River on dry ground, build a memorial. Their first battle is Jericho. They win the battle by yelling at the walls. Just, 
hoo-rah, and the walls come tumbling down, and they're just fish in a barrel, just lighting them up. I mean, they walk through Jericho like Tyson, just knocking people out. I mean, it was just complete, you know, just devastating of Jericho as they take over that city, right? Now, I want you to think about that. Where does that put God's people? Like, if you're a part of that, you know, people of God, that army, and you watch God do that, the next town they come across is Ai. Much smaller town than Jericho. They're going to come upon that. And, you know, we're going to talk about the spies later. Each time they send in spies, the spies are like, don't even worry. Send up a couple thousand. Like, we got that. They are all puffed up. Like, man, you know, what do we need to worry about? Look what we just did. So they're going in to AI next. Part of the fun of studying the Bible is how it builds the drama of it. Because before they do that, now, this is the fun part. As they're going in, Joshua and the army, we find out something that they don't know. Right? The author lets us in kind of on a little secret that is unknown to Joshua and the Israelites at this time. And so this is kind of where the story picks up. Man, they just completely annihilate Jericho. And then we find this out in Joshua 7. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Again, all of this is unbeknownst to Joshua in the army, as Joshua's leading. That may not seem like a big deal, but God just clearly forbid this. He said, look, as you go in, and as you go into Jericho after it, I want you to treat that town like William Wallace treated towns he took over, right? Burn it. Remember that? Burn the thing down. Don't touch any of the spoils. It was weird, like, people, different words. I'm trying to, like, seriously study the Bible. Like, some called it plunder, and a couple of the commentaries kept calling it booty. I'm like, I'm not a pirate. I'm not saying that. You know, Give me your treasure. Don't touch the booty. Like... So I'm not saying that, but like, right, you go through a town, there's spoils, there's treasure everywhere. And he says, don't touch it. I want you to devote it all to me. And Achan, rolling through the town, like, what's the harm? It's all going to burn anyway. Nobody's around. And Achan gets a little five-finger discount, gets some sticky fingers, and grabs some garments and some gold and some silver, and he keeps it to himself. So at this point, the author lets us readers know that. And right, again, see the drama of it. It's like when you're watching a thriller or a horror movie and you know, like, the killer's in there and you're watching people walk into the house. You're like, don't go in the house! Don't do it, girl! Right, now, I'm, I'm white, and so as white people, we don't yell at the screen. We're just like, ooh, right? But maybe in another culture, you'd be yelling at the screen. Like, don't go in there! Is that going to go good? That's where we're at in the story. You're watching them puffed up go into AI, and they are walking on water. But we know this to be true. And so think about how this is going to play out when we see it. The men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Again, dive into the drama of the narrative. 
They go, this is what God promised to do for them, that he's going to melt the hearts of the people. Now, what God was doing for them is now doing to them. They are running in fear. 36 of them died. Again, you got to think about kind of in the history of God's people where we're at. Moses just transferred lead, the leadership to Joshua. I mean, Jericho is so unique. This is essentially Joshua's first battle And think about how this played out. You are now the leader of God's people, and this is your first battle? Think about what the Israelites must have been thinking at the time. Right? What you think about like the New England Patriots, right? When Tom Brady was at the helm, right? You're the Patriots. You're lining up, and you look over and see Tom Brady. You're like, we got this. Back up. Like, you are so full of courage. Now imagine the Patriots, you're lining up and you look over and you see Mac Jones at the helm. You're like, oh boy, we'll see how this goes. Right? They look over, they're not seeing Moses anymore. They're seeing Joshua, who Moses appointed. But there's got to be this level of like, man, Moses is gone. How's this going to go? First battle. This is week one. They get smoked. And Joshua wigs out. He falls on his face before God. God, I thought... You appointed me to this. Like, I thought I was doing what you called me to do. And he's beside himself. You ever been in that spot? You think you're being faithful. You think you're doing the right thing. And life just blows up in your face. I mean, go back. Read all of Joshua 7. Read his prayer. It's just like, God, what is going on? Did you abandon us? Why are we here? I thought we were here because of you. And then this happens? You ever just been so confused of God? Why in the world did you allow this to happen? But then God reveals to him that there is, have you ever heard this phrase, sin in the camp? God reveals to Joshua that there has been sin committed. And he tells Joshua, look, I'm going to narrow it down. Again, go read the story. It's wild. He says, look, I want you to line up all the tribes, then all the clans, then all the families, and I'm going to tell you the individual who it is. Now, again, Achan knew what he did. He knew what he did was wrong and serious. Imagine him that next day when Joshua's lining up all the people. You know, he thinks, okay, what are the odds, right? And then God calls his tribe like, oh, boy. Narrows it down to his clan like, oh, this can't go well for me. Never says a word. Did you hear the order? Now he's standing up there with his family. Still doesn't say a word, knowing it's him that there, that God is going to point out. And he's just in line like, what did you guys do? Seriously, who did it? Seriously, fess up. Like his family. And then it finally gets narrowed down to Achan. And what do you say in that moment? Like, Joshua, you're going to laugh. Like this is, like he is caught, red-handed. God reveals he is the one that disobeyed the Lord in this first journey. And that's where we get to this stack of stones. Again, this is, in that culture, this was, we think we're so humane with our death penalty and it was done differently, but they play out the death penalty in Achan's life. And this is where it gets us to the stack of stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger, 
Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Acre. I mean, do you see that remains to this day? So they intentionally, again, I wasn't kidding you. This is, this is a tombstone. This is a gravestone, a great heap of stones over Achan's dead body. And they leave it because they know we can forget. I forgot. You ever forget? It happened to me. It's like, look, when you're walking through the Valley of Acre, you need to be reminded of this. So for our time, I'm going to answer three questions. What should we remember? What should we understand? And then what ultimately should we do? I think when they see this stones, it should probably be jumping out at you already what we need to remember. There is a parallel scene in Acts 5 in the New Testament. It is exactly this played out. Go read that. You know, what Achan is to Joshua, Ananias is to the book of Acts. Go read Acts 5. This scene plays out again in the New Testament. And we see what happens with his body. Every time they're walking through this valley, they would be painfully reminded of their temptation to sin and to be unfaithful. Last week, they were reminded gloriously that God is faithful. And then they are quickly reminded how prone we are to wander. How prone we are to sin. How easily all of us can still fall into sin. And I I don't want us to stay here, but I want us to sit in that. And all of us to be painfully reminded how easy all of us can be tempted and fall into sin. There were two reminders in that. Think about them seeing this. They would remember how easily we could fall into sin and unfaithfulness, and they would instantly understand the grave consequences of our sin. Valley of Acre, the scripture makes kind of a big point about that name. In the dialogue between Joshua and Achan, he talks about how he has brought great trouble upon Israel. That's what that word Acre means. Valley of trouble. Like we all need to be aware how close we are to making some really bad decisions in our life. And we need to be painfully reminded of how much trouble that it will bring upon our lives and the lives of those around us that we love. You can't miss that lesson too in Achan. Not is it that it's just our sin affects us. It affects so many others. Think about the other people that died. Are you painfully aware, right, of our weakness and our depravity? I want us in some way, again, aren't you so glad you came out? I want us to despair of the darkness that still resides in us. If I'm a believer, right, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Pride goes before the fall. Let us not sit in our pride and this morning be utterly humbled about the weakness and darkness that still resides in here until Jesus comes and rids us of all of it. Do you sit in that place? Do you remember that? If you don't, pride goes before the fall. You're in a very precarious place. I really like this quote that kind of drives this point home. Enter into the joyous free fall of despair. 
Let yourself maintain throughout the whole course of your Christian journey a salutary remembrance of just how much evil resides in you, even as one born again. Feel your sinfulness. Let it humble you. Let it sober you. Regularly stop and consider the ruinous condition of your life apart from Christ. You cannot feel the weight of your sin strongly enough. I never met a deep Christian who didn't correspondingly have a deep sense of his or her own natural desolation. And I really want to take a moment. I know we don't do this much in a service, but I want you to stop and think. Where would you be apart from Christ? Maybe where are you apart from Christ? And remind yourself of the depravity and brokenness that still remains in here. It's very, I don't want to stay there, but I do want to start there, and I want you to think about that for a moment. I don't want to stay there because that is a scary thought, but I do want to start there. God wanted his people to remember this and we would be wise to remember it as well. How much we are prone to wander and still tempted to sin. So let's remember that. But I also kind of want to shift too, right? What do we remember? But also what do we need to understand? Right? Because it is so easy I mean, we do it all the time. You see somebody make a bad decision, and what do we say? How could they? I could never. And we just judge at the sin out there, and we separate ourselves, and you think, how could they? Well, we're going to talk about it, because anytime you watch a really bad decision, I want us to say, man, not how could they, it's how could I, and I know I could do the same apart from the grace of God in my life. So as we look at the text... I think it goes to show us how easily this can happen to all of us. So we need to remember how close we are to making a horrible decision and the trouble that will come, but we need to understand how that happens. And I think it starts with straying. This is really interesting when you study the text, right? They go to AI. I love that the town is called AI too. And it's just a coincidence, but right... Like, AI is probably taking over the world. Like, it really feels like Skynet is online. I don't know. But it's funny, the biblical lesson of Sunday, you mess with AI, you die. I'm not saying a real point, but it's ironic, right? I don't even know what I was talking about in the sermon, right? So they're going to AI. If you look at what Moses told Joshua, they never should have been there. We're going to study a ceremony next week. Moses explicitly told Joshua, when you get in the promised land, I want you to go up to Shechem and I want you to play out this ceremony. If you look at a map, this is, again, in the text, it's not explicitly condemned, but they go this way because it makes sense. AI was strategic and it made sense for that to be the next battle. They had no business even being there. Of course, it was Achan's sin. But part of what got them there is they just began to stray from kind of the clear path God laid out for them. Isn't that true? Right? We normally don't wake up and say, I think I'm going to ruin my life today. 
I'm going to get hopped up on Mountain Dew and make some bad decisions, right? We don't just make really what happens. How often do we stray before we sin? How often does, you know, your relationship with God, how many people in this place would say, man, yeah, my relationship with God's not what it should be. Ah, you know, I'm kind of drifting here and there. And how many times do we stray before we sin? And also, we always sound so innocent, right? Oh, it's just wrong place, wrong time. Don't be in the wrong place. How about we start there, right? How often we end up, we're just in places we shouldn't be, with people we shouldn't be, and oh, shocker, we end up making a bad decision, right? God called me to serve here. He called me to be with the people of God, yet I start to stray. And how often, right, is that now the beginning of making some really bad decisions? Again, not explicitly wrong that they were here. But how often, right, it's not explicitly wrong to go out and have drinks with your coworkers, And maybe you're doing that on mission. Maybe it's great. Or maybe they're influencing you more than you're influencing them. And your relationship with God isn't center anymore. And you're just starting to stray. I want you to realize how precarious that is. Do you know how many people I've talked to that have made bad decisions and always start with, man, I wasn't wasn't in the word, I wasn't with my Christian, you know, community. And instead of being right where you should be, you start to stray. And then, there are four S's, they're coming at you. Then I think we start to go into self-confidence, right? We start to think, we got this. Again, we're going to look at the spies even more. When they spent, sent spies into AI, what did the spies come back and say? This is Joshua 7.3. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack AI. Do not make the whole people toil up here, for they are few. We got this. No sense of prayer. No sense of God dependence. They feel like, look what we just did. I got this. This is one of these subtle, sneakiest, and most destructive messages that we get bombarded with all the time, right? You have what it takes. You can do it. You got this, right? We're constantly, get on social media and just hear kind of the barrage of this. You can do it. You got this. There's another word for that. It's called pride, and it goes before the fall. They were doing this not on dependence of God, but on their own power. How many things in your life fall into that category? Can right, not explicitly bad, but you're doing it because it makes sense to you. Right? Did you ask, God, should I take this job? Should I buy this house? Should I date this person? Or did you just kind of do it because it made sense to you? Like it made sense to the people of God to go in to AI and you're just doing it all on your own power? Or are you desperately clinging to God? See, we start to stray. And then we get self-confident. And we think, I can do this. I have what it takes. And then we are primed to be tempted by serpent theology. It's really interesting. I heard one commentator say this. Where serpent theology comes in, if you think of Garden of Eden, right, when the serpent initially tempted Eve, part of the reason I bring that up is because you see similar language, right? Achan, walking through the rubble, 
In the same way that he looked at that gold in those garments, it's the same way that Eve looked at that apple. It looked beautiful to her. It looked good. The guy that coined this term says it this way, the tempter was sharp enough to place his emphasis on the restrictions God has imposed rather than on the riches he has lavished. Anyone guilty of that? Right? This is serpent theology 101. Here's what the enemy does. Get your eyes off of God's good, rich provision in your life. Get your eyes on God's restriction and make it look good to you. And then you start to doubt God's care for you. That is what the serpent did to Eve in the garden. God's keeping this from you. Oh, he just doesn't want you to have knowledge. God doesn't really care about you. Have your good in mind. And the second those things, those things settle into your heart, he's got you. How many of us began to stray? We're doing things on our own power. And then the serpent starts whispering. I mean, think of marriage, right? If you're married, God has given you a good spouse with many a gifts. Is that all you do is just go home and think about all the great things about your spouse? It's, wow, well, they're this, they're this, they're this. Oh, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude for what God has given me. Is that all you, that's all you can think about, right? When you think about your spouse, just like, man, God has provided me a good woman. Wow. What happens? God has gifted you graciously. With a good spouse, and we don't, we, it's hard to recall the good stuff. What do we do? Man, it'd be nice if, if she had that, if he had that. We look at somebody else and go, man, I wish my wife, I wish my husband was like that. Doesn't God want me to be happy? Why would God keep that from me? Then the enemy has us. Right? Maybe you're single. You don't see kind of the gift of sex. You think, okay, well, God's keeping this from me, and I can't, you know, have this right now. And man, it'd be nice. I guess God doesn't want me to be happy. And that's when serpent theology gets a hold of us. And then ultimately, that's when we fall into sin. We stray. We allow that serpent, Satan, to deceive us. We start doing things on our own power, and then he has us. And you have to understand the valley of trouble that comes with that. Again, Achan thinking, oh, this all stuff's all going to burn. What's this going to hurt anybody? Think of just the carnage of his sin. That's one of the undeniable things. My sin, oh, it doesn't hurt anybody else. It will cause Trouble for those around me as well, and we fall into that. So we got to understand how easy it is, how close all of us are from making a horrible decision, falling in sin, and bringing just carnage to ourselves and to our family. And that's how easy it happens. God says you need to remember how easy that can happen. So ultimately, what do we do? Right? That's how it happens, so what do we do? Not that. Do that, except the opposite, right? 
And that's where we're going to go. We're going to walk through that because I know as I'm sitting here talking about how easy it is to stray, how many set me, and that is me. You're right. Oh, I have kind of gotten off a little course in my relation with God. I'm not really around the people I should be. I'm not really in the word like I should be. Stop messing around. Like, stop. Do you understand what's at stake? And we're just fooling around, kind of drifting, thinking, oh, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Stop. Make it right. Get back on that path God has called you to. Get the things right that need to get right. Serve where you need to serve. Get back in the Word. This is January, right? Tis the season to make new goals. Dive back in. You already ruined all your resolutions. Start again. Stop straying and stop thinking the lie that you got this, that you have what it takes. I will wring every bit of confidence I can out of you because I know all it will do is will give you pride and cause you to fall. I was meeting with Tommy, one of our missionaries, is going back to Portugal this week. Most of our time, I kid you not, like a big part of our time is me just trying to tear down his confidence. And I'm not even kidding. To sit there and tell him, you have no business going back over there. Who do you think you are? Thinking that you're going to bring the kingdom of light to this dark place. Are you kidding me? Like, do you know how out of the depths you are that you think, I can be this husband. I can raise Christian kids. No, you can't. Like, the enemy is too strong. The temptations are too much. Rid yourself of the poisonous lie that I can do this. That's our options, right? I want to think through the three spies and I want you to squarely put yourself in the right space. Right? The spies went into AI and they were confident. This is, this is too small. We got this. I have what it takes. Now, if you remember the spies in the beginning... What did they say with Moses? He went in. They said, man, this is too much. This is too big. They cowered. Because you're looking at your life. Are you falling into one of those two? Are you confident in yourself? Do you got that? Or are you cowering and thinking, I can't handle this. And again, I want to rid you of self-confidence. I want you to despair of trying to do this alone. But I don't want you to stay there. Because there is a third option as we think of how the spies looked at their life. How do you look at your life? Where do you find yourself? Is it cowardice? Are you thinking, this is too big for me? I can never go on a mission trip. I can never leave a Bible study. I can't lead my wife spiritually. And you are just, just falling back in fear. Or do you have confidence that you have what it takes? You're not even praying. You're going about your life because you're gifted and you can handle this. Or lastly, like Joshua and Caleb. Now here's the thing too. I don't want you to look at it, right? Think of the Goldilocks lie, right? I don't want you to see it as too big or too little. And what do you think, right? Goldilocks, I want you to see it's just right. Goldilocks is a liar. You never eat a bear's food. Bears don't even live in houses. Goldilocks is a liar. Don't believe her. That's one of your big take-home messages. It isn't to look at your life and see it just right. Not, okay, it's not too big, it's not too little, it's just right and I can handle it. True courage 
That's the last one. To see the task is too big for me, but not too big for the God that is with me. That's what Joshua and Caleb said. I can't do this. This is absolutely too much for me, but this is nothing for the God that is with me. The picture that hangs above my son's bed is that verse. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord is with you wherever you go. Ring yourself of the poison of self-confidence, but I want something so much more for you, and that is courage. That if you go, as you go out here, full of courage, not in yourself, but that God is with you. God will give you what you need. Stop with this silly confidence that I have it. No, you don't, but he does. And when you're in that place of dependence on him, there's no room for that serpent, that snake, to begin to whisper to you. You're so focused on him and what he has done for you. You've got no room for those lies. I want you to be grateful for what God has given you. That commentator goes on to say this about serpent theology. God never seeks to impoverish his people. It is only as his people lose sight of his generosity, his provision, his goodness, that the cancer of covetousness consumes them. Recognizing Yahweh as the giving God is the prerequisite for faithfulness. Contentment with God's provision is our antidote for apostasy. Apostasy is our straying from God. Right? We need to understand what God has done for us. Stop thinking about all the things you don't have and be grateful. Here's one of the crazy things about the story. He says, don't touch any of that stuff in Jericho. You know what happens? They ultimately go on to defeat AI. You'd assume, don't touch any of it. Burn it all. And he doesn't say that. He says, have at it. Take all the treasure. Take all the booty. It's all yours. Enjoy the spoils. God isn't trying to keep you from good things. God is trying to protect you with the boundaries. And once you understand, okay, God is for me. These are good things and good ways to live. We're far less tempted to stray. So let us have courage. But ultimately, too, we think of sin. I don't want you to stray. Many of us are sitting here, and I would say all of us, maybe not in big ways, but in small ways, we have fallen into sin. And what do we do then? Now, here's the thing. Achan never repents, and he pays for his sin, and you have that choice. You can ride your pride and sin to the grave, and God will punish you. But if we repent and confess, you know the first thing God says to Joshua when he's praying, God, what is going on? He says, Joshua, get up. Right? We can just wallow in, but I've messed up. Look what I've already done. God says, and I say to you, get up. It's not hopeless. It doesn't mean you've ruined everything. He says, get up, repent, get your life right. And they do that. Achan never does. But the people of God repent and they get back to living how God has called them to live. Repent. Get your life right. You know the next thing he says? 
don't be afraid. He says, look, I'm still with you. We can still do this. We don't have to have, that doesn't mean now you're destined to a life full of trouble. That valley comes up in scripture again. Look how the Bible talks about this valley again. This is Hosea 2.15. There I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Acre a door of hope. You think this valley and your shame and your sin is the last story. God says that is just your doorway of hope. And I don't mind leaning in as hard as I can to get us to be humble, to despair of our own sin, because that is where hope enters your life. Right? You think of the 12 steps of AA. When does it begin when you finally get over yourself and say, God, I can't do it. I'm messing this thing up. I will continue to mess it up. Help me. That is when hope invades your life. When you go from confident to dependent, it isn't the end of the story for you. So I want you to despair. Remember, I don't mind doing that. I want one more quote to end with here. Because I know this is true as you despair of yourself, agonizing over the desolation wrought by your failures, your weakness, your inadequacies. Let that despair take you down deep into honesty with yourself. For there you will find a friend, the living Lord Jesus himself, who will surprise you with his gentle goodness as you leave self behind in repentance and bank on him afresh in faith. I want you to collapse and repent and be aware of the depths of your depravity because that is where you meet Jesus. He's waiting to carry you, but you need to collapse first and rid yourself of this pride and get to this place. We're going to end with a hymn this morning. I've been singing it all week. right? Because there's that line and Come Thou Fount. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I want to be painfully reminded of how prone I am to wander and to sin and to remember that so that I cling to him and meet him in that place and experience that doorway of hope. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I don't want to think about it. But you call your people to remember. To remember that although you are so faithful that we are prone to be unfaithful, we are prone to sin. That you call us home when we were lost. You save us. You wash us. And God, we're still prone to wander. We're still prone to allow the enemy to deceive us and to whisper to us. Will you quiet those lies? And will we fix our eyes on you and bind our hearts to you? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.